0: Hello and welcome to the prep to pro NBA Draft Podcast. Uh, I am Max Carlin. I'm joined, as always now, by Jake Rosen. Jake, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing well, Max. How are you?
0: Uh, I'm alright. Uh, we're going to continue with uh, the wing episodes that we were doing. Um, so, let's get into it.
1: Yeah. I also, I think this is a pretty good segue into the three and D type of wing, because I think the avenue where we are seeing a lot of these guys add that baseline level of skill is catch and shoot three pointers. I mean, we've seen a lot of dudes make pretty drastic shooting improvements over the course of their NBA career. I mean, with the shortened corner and how NBA spacing is in the current times, we've seen guys be able to just live in the corner, shoot spot up threes, and that's their value of offense. However... I think and you mentioned that the three and D role is somewhat overrated, I've long had an issue with guys being mislabeled as three and D uh, especially in high school circles. I, when you talk to guys and like, Oh, he, he's exactly what the NBA wants. He's a three and D guy. It's like, Oh, actually no, he just has zero offensive skill and you're pegging him as this three and D guy. And I think we see that a lot and it's unfair to kids. It's unfair to this mold because when it is actually achieved, when you get someone like Devin Vassell, who is a high-level three-point shooter, who is a high-level shooter in general, has the ability to attack a close out and hit a one or two-drill pull-up, and is that level of team defender, that is an extremely valuable player. If we're talking about, like, and Robert Covington has long been someone who yeah. people... But yeah, I, I think,
0: the know, the, the point that this gets at for me is that I wouldn't even call those guys three-and-D players because I think it, it, I think it's a slight to them. That, no,
1: and Yeah, that's fair. No, that's. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's. Yeah. Definitely, that's definitely fair, and I. I. We're gonna hear a lot of three and D with Moody, um, as we're gonna get towards the draft, and I don't know a lot of three and D guys that are getting up twenty five shots in a college game. I'm sorry, I just don't. And, and like I said, I haven't watched the film. It, it could be twenty five fast break wide open layups for all I know. I have no idea. The chances are it's not. And I do agree with you that it is more than likely a slight to those guys. And that was what I really loved about Den Vassell last year is that he wasn't just the spot-up three-point shooter. He had the ability to put the ball on the ground. He had the ability to take take and make tough shots like we talked about earlier in the episode. So while I do think the defense is extremely valuable and team defense is it's the coveted skill, you can't ask for anything more than it from these wing guys. However, there just needs to be, like you said, a certain offensive baseline skill and once you get beyond that, there needs to be certain improvements to actually pressure the defense and make it all worthwhile on that end.
0: Yeah. I, I think when people say three and D it, it feels like they're, they're talking about um, hitting corner threes, hitting mm-hmm. just catch shoots and defending your own man. Um, and I think that that's not a particularly valuable uh, commodity that, you know, if you're doing that, you're, you're probably not a, you're not a valuable offensive player and you're probably not adding much value in defense. And I think it's, it, these guys are, are I think, filled as, as sort of the, the uh, lineup, versatility uh, team building Trump cards that we've been talking about, but I think that they really aren't like, they don't, they don't hinder you that much. They're not these great ceiling razors that the glue guys are They're, you know, they can just exist and they're fine to have. And there's definitely some value in that. Like, and I think that the, there are, there are plenty of guys that you can pick out, you know, as as sort of early to mid second rounders every year that are like that, where they're, you know, they're solid shooters, but they're probably more stationary shooters. They're fine defenders, but you know, that means uh, doing most of what you're tasked with as a team defender and not getting toasted on the ball. Um but you're not really adding that much value in any in any capacity. And that doesn't mean that these that these guys shouldn't, you know, are are, are undesirable. And, and in fact they're they're somewhat desirable because this is kind of this is I think how you should be filling out your bench maybe with with these guys that don't necessarily take much away, but they're really not adding much either. Like they they, they can maybe, you know, they they can allow you to fill out a lineup but they're not what you're building a lineup around. They're not raising the ceiling of a lineup. They're just kind of there. Um, mm. And I think that that's that's probably it's probably overstated how valuable it is to be a guy who like re- reliably won't get toasted and can can fulfill most team defense responsibilities and hit corner threes. Um, that I don't think that's some major ceiling raiser. You know that that's a fine player.
1: I also. Shooting stationary catch-and-shoot threes, man, it's probably not enough anymore. I mean, no, that's that's where I'm at, and we've seen this, and I've been very adamant, especially in this draft cycle of kind of, you know, at all costs, telling people, screaming from the rooftops that the NBA is not what some people – will go on Twitter and say it is. It is not a pick and roll where you have three people waiting for a catch and shoot three. That's not what it is. You're going to get run off the line. You're going to be forced to make decisions. This is the National Basketball Association. These are 30 of the smartest coaching staffs in the entire world. They're watching film. They're scouting. They know what you're good at. They know what you're bad at we see it in the regular season and it only it's on steroids in the playoffs uh, in terms of scheme and what they're going to force you into what you're not comfortable doing. And, and so I do think, like you said, a lot of teams are chasing this three and D player. When in reality, one, they're saying three and D when it is a, a glue type of guy and the complete distinction hasn't been made yet, or they're kind of being satisfied with something that isn't as valuable as they think it is. Um, a prospect that kind of is interesting in this mold and who I tweeted about last night, I've watched a, a good amount of Kansas this year, and Ochai Agbaji has pretty much... He's he stood out to me. I think he's been pretty interesting this year, and I think he's someone who's going to get the typical, oh, he's just a 3-and-D... Gar, a 3 and D wing from a power five school, blue blood. So he'll get his looks. But in reality, he's shooting off movement. He's attacking closeouts. He's hitting step backs and he's offering that next level of versatility that while it is an incremental jump and is one just little micro skill that goes ways beyond what people imagine in the NBA in terms of actual impact in your role and your ultimate ceiling as an individual and for your team, the ability to put the ball on the ground and make a secondary move to get to your spot, the ability to put the ball on the ground, make a read and hit a swing pass. Like those are the kinds of guys that you're looking for. And I think we could, if we had like a spectrum, like with each skill that isn't catch and shoot shooting, you're moving more towards that glue guy role, which is ultimately much more valuable than this typical 3 and D guy. But the one point I would want to leave people with is like, if you are going to be a 3 and D guy, you need to absolutely excel in both areas. It's not just enough to be a good team defender and a good shooter. Those guys are way more common than people seem to think. Uh, you can go look on Bartovic or Sports Reference and do one query and find a bunch of guys who have a steal and block percentage that's impressive and a decent three-point rate with good three-point percentages those guys are relatively common but the guys that are running off off ball screens shooting off movement pressuring the defense garnering a pull-up shooting gravity that like who can actually like hit pull-ups and are making plays on on and off the ball on defense that player is valuable but i do think the threshold that everyone approaches it with should be raised a little bit the wait is finally over football is in full effect and the nba is back you might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season, from game spreads and totals to team, player and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to Bet Online today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts.
0: Yeah, the the guys who have much more developed offensive skill, um, are the ones who are valuable or, or I mean the other way around that if you have that, that baseline of offensive competency and are a team defense ace, then that works too. But like when when you're this person who is, who is well-rounded, who has on-ball defensive impact, team defensive impact and this offensive versatility as a shooter, then you're Isaiah Joe, like then you're a very valuable prospect. Um, so, you know, I think that that's a, that's a, a very distinct thing. Um, Whereas, like, if if you're truly, truly just a stationary catch and shoot guys guy, and there are some of those guys in the NBA, there are some good ones. It just takes, I think, a very specialized context to actually be particularly valuable or viable. Even like it, you you kind of need to be in like a Houston Harden situation where you really are kind of a lot of the time going to be stationary shooting catch and shoots. And even then you need to be a lot better at the stationary catch and shoots that I think people think you have to be because being like a, you know, a league average guy on those shots, I, you know, I I don't know.
1: I'm, I would pass on those type of guys and I'm sure you would too. More than I think most people would anticipate is kind of what I'm getting at.
0: Yeah, and the, and I think that those are the guys that that don't stick with teams. That that you know sometimes fan bases are excited about about these acquisitions because they'll they'll look at you know Basketball Reference and see that a guy gets up like five three point attempts per one hundred and shoots thirty five percent on them is, and is 6'6". But there's a lot more to being a a viable uh, NBA player than that, and there's a lot more that goes into being a, a very valuable uh, NBA player.
1: Yeah. I mean, if uh, I can just say one thing, if you're planning on listening to this podcast, the foreseeable future, the one point you will always leave with is basketball reference and sports reference. Do not tell the story, turn on the film. <laughs> we will preach that until my mic is broken. Yes, um,
0: Always watch basketball. I that <laughs> is, I, well, for, it's just much more enjoyable. Than it is
1: more at, enjoyable. As,
0: that queries. But also it's generally, <laughs> it's generally helpful in, in evaluating prospects to, to watch them. Um, <laughs> All right, should we move on to to the slasher?
1: Yeah, I so I'm intrigued by the slasher. Um, as someone who I think probably values shooting more than most people, I've sort of adjusted my philosophy and noticed that a six seven guy who is drawing rim pressure consistently is valuable, and that matters. And uh, Keldon Johnson is someone that I was probably lower again. I was not so deep into the weeds back then, but Keldon Johnson is someone I liked in high school. Did not like at Kentucky and is absolutely killing it in the NBA right now. And granted, if you're a wing with great physical tools and you need to shore up some skill things and some things mentally, San Antonio is pretty is a pretty good place to land. However, Kelvin Johnson deserves all his credit. He's been awesome. So much fun to watch and just very impactful that he's when you watch the Spurs, like I said, like Keldon is always drawing multiple defenders, putting pressure, drawing rotations, and while he isn't quite making the passes yet. The same windows that open, as we talked about, for these guys who are drawing defensive gravity from pull-up shooting, that same thing happens when you're getting to the rim. I think Russell Westbrook is like a really big example of that. When Russ was at his peak, and Russ was just getting to the rim, getting to the rim all the time, doing whatever he wants, the passing windows are just very easy, and it's much easier to capitalize on these rotations and the rim pressure when the defense is so out of whack, and that happens when you just get a straight line drive to the rim. So I, I'm I definitely more open to this archetype than I probably would have been a year ago. However, I do think it's a very high bar to hit because we're talking about someone who is likely, and again, there's no the on-off ball stuff. We will, like, we know, you know where we stand on that. However, usage per, usage percentage is a thing. And it is real that some players have the ball more than others. And if your skill set is being derived from your ability to get to the rim, off the bounce, and you're not really that adept at drawing closeouts because the defense is okay. You're a below average league three-point shooter. They're okay with leaving you out there, so therefore your slashing ability gets hindered a little bit. It's a tough line to tow, but I think this archetype is definitely more interesting than I probably gave it credit for in the past.
0: Yeah, I think, again, it's a high bar to be viable in in this in this mold. But there are ways to succeed. I mean, you see, see with Isaac Okoro early that that he's adding a ton of value as a cutter, not just for his own offense, but for you know he's because he's such an intelligent player, compromising the defense with his cuts to generate looks for other people. Um, and then you know if you if you can just make it viable when you're off the ball, which you can do if you're if you're a smart and physical player with cuts, with screens, uh, with activity, with with just relocation and a willingness to to take shots to some extent. Which which Okoro has been has been willing early in his in his NBA career. Um if you're combining that then with once once you're in these on-ball situations where you're you're or I mean in in fact actually if you can if you can transform those off ball situations into advantageous on ball situations, that's kind of you know the the gold standard. And that's what I think we see with like someone like Zion where where you can you can actually design action to make use of the fact that this person is being ignored to get them going downhill. And then in those situations, if you are a player who is a special finisher, who is a special free throw rate guy, who is a special wing passer, then you're looking at a very, very valuable player. Um, One who, who, you know, is not necessarily going to work in every lineup construction, who is not necessarily going to be your primary offensive engine. And who may be someone you have to go away from a little bit late in games, but, you know, you, you, I think you are talking about a player that you can extract a ton of value from if, if it is this, this specific type of, of elite finishing free throw rate tank that, that you do see from someone like Jimmy Butler. Um, While well, Jimmy, yeah, it does have tough shot making ability, like kind of, you know, latter day Jimmy Butler, the jumper, I mean, at least out, out to three, has really gotten away from him. But he manages to still be an elite player in the NBA. Because of what he can do as a slasher, as a free, as a as a foul drawer, that um, I think that these guys can work, and they get I think they get dismissed out of hand too much as creators, be, especially if they're if they're individuals who can't really shoot, um, and I think it just probably takes a, a bit more creativity than people are willing to to consider, and and maybe it'll take more time, uh, but but I do think that these guys should be given um, some credit as as having. You know, a lot of a lot of avenues to using them, uh, in a way that can really generate a lot of value.
1: Yeah, and I think I want to harp on the willingness to shoot. I think that's a, been a good. It's been a really good time for Okoro early on. He's getting them up. Uh, I think he's definitely regressing back to the mean a little bit after the heater preseason run that he went on. But the willingness to shoot is a big thing, and that's something I, I am. If you follow me on Twitter, you know my feelings on Ben Simmons. Very good basketball player. I can't quite get there with the ceiling outcome because, look, when if you're not even willing to shoot it and people are going to sag 10 feet off of you, it makes everything that much difficult. And we can talk about how he eats up that space as a runway and he does this and he does that. When push comes to shove, it is not good for the offense or him individually that he gets guarded like that. And I want to bring it back to a prospect in this class, Terrence Shannon, who I know you guys talked a lot about last year. Um, I was intrigued by Terrence Shannon last year. He's a crazy athlete, um, laterally and vertically, very good defender, gets like incredibly quick pop time off the ground. But he was – I mean, when I was watching him last year, he was getting the Ben Simmons treatment, getting sagged 10 feet off of, no respect, and he would try to force getting downhill into a charge. I watched Terrence Shannon game yesterday. He took about eight threes, I think, eight or nine threes, multiple threes off the bounce, even some self-creation – They were down two, and he pulled a a pretty semi-contested three with about 40 seconds left, which from a year-to-year jump, I tweeted the clip. Very, very impressive. And just, you know, the confidence, the willingness to shoot. And you know what? If it's going to go in, it's probably not going to go in as much as you'd like it to, but you still need to get them up to a reasonable rate where the defense is going to respect you at some point. And, yeah, what are you going to say?
0: Uh, I just think that the the overarching point with that is to with these guys who do get ignored, it's to track what they do with being ignored. That you know that was something that that Denny Avdia did amazingly well. That he would get ignored sometimes, and so he was just a brilliant cutter. You know he was he was I think the best cutter in last year's draft, and then you know could finish off those cuts that Okoro last year and and in early in his NBA career has demonstrated to be a really good cutter, and he's a guy who can eat space. and and, you know generate momentum and then you know once he's barreling into you there's not really a lot you can do um so that that's something that i think is very important to track with with guys who kind of fit this mold like your jalen johnson's and scotty Barnes. that jalen johnson comes from a from from a a background where he was an on-ball player a lot um and now he is he is demonstrating some some ability as a cutter uh he is showing off that that his you know, the intelligence that he is that he has shown translates to that cutting ability um it's just making use of of that space in a way that can still benefit your offense so that when you don't have the ball in your hands that you remain viable
1: yeah for sure and, and like we said we've talked about it I've talked about it you've talked about it there are multiple ways to impact the game than just shooting spot up threes and we see that with cutting you know cutting creates space we it, it's contrarian um it's you don't really think about it all the time but when you watch if someone's cutting they're drawing multiple defenders which forces a rotation and then you can skip it around and fight an open shooter i'm not saying it's the best way to create offense but it is a avenue to create offense and that's what i, I think my biggest point with this like whole episode is is to kind of open your mind up a little bit and, like you said, get creative. Think about ways where these guys can impact the game that doesn't just revolve around shooting catch-and-shoot threes and tagging the role because there's so much more nuance to basketball and there's so much more nuance that these some of these wing prospects possess and can possess in later on in their careers when they develop. And I think that part of it gets undersold a little bit and people are just so content with this basic three and d mold i have my guard he's going to go on the wing shoot threes and play good team defense and that's it when in reality like if you have a wing that can handle the ball and can get to the rim can draw rotations just off by himself like that is a very valuable player and and one that i think nba franchises who properly value them will be heavily rewarded the wait is finally over football was in full effect and the nba is back you might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season, from game spreads and totals to team, player and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. Head to Bet Online today and use promo code ARMCHAIR to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts.
0: Yeah, and and that's why we look for things like, you know, my my favorite players in the last couple of drafts, Grant Williams and Xavier Tillman, they do things like if they're standing in the corner and being ignored, and and you know their man is cheating way off, and you you essentially you have you have one guy really zoning up two players on the weak side. You know they're going and setting a, an impromptu pin in, or like a, or maybe in some situations like effectively a hammer screen, and then all of a sudden it's a wide open corner three for someone else. It's it's turning these disadvantages into advantages by virtue of instincts intelligence um willingness physicality um you know timing timing is huge uh and just like you know knowing knowing teammate tendencies as well that there are ways to actually turn this on its head and make it an advantage and these guys who who are really really good uh off ball or who who who, yeah are really really good off ball wings in particular um you know, they, they find these ways to impact the game and move toward that, that glue guy end of the spectrum where, where they're, they're influencing possessions positively, even when they're not necessarily the ones taking the shot or making the pass.
1: Yeah. 100%. And I think, uh, if you could take, if you use one word to sum up all those little micro skills that you just talked about between Grant, Xavier Toman, a bunch of other players in the draft class, it's smart. Like Basketball IQ, understanding, processing the game, knowing what you're seeing, and knowing how to apply yourself in a way to impact the game in a positive way. And, and I think we Draft Twitter gets, gets clowned a lot for just saying, oh, if you're a smart basketball player, like they'll love you. And, and there's more to that, but there is also some truth to that. And that's because generally smart basketball players make the winning plays. We've seen, we're seeing Draymond Green. I don't even know. I haven't looked at his basketball reference page in a little bit, but I think he's shooting like – 30 percent averaging four points per game and if you watch the Warriors he's like by far and away their second best player and it's not even close and yes Draymond Green is a 99th percentile smart basketball player combined with physical tools and just nutty strength whatever we've been down this road before however there are multiple ways to impact the game that aren't like the surface level baseline skills that people tend to fall in love with.
0: All right. Our final category is now very much in the opposite direction. We've got shooting specialists, um, and I think this is another. This is another area where these guys. I think there there's some false equivalency drawn between two really different players um, that make certain players get vastly overrated and certain vastly underrated. That I, I think that there's there's an assumption that everyone can do what JJ Redick does. And that's not the case. That most most human beings, or very 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 few human beings in the entire world, can do what JJ Redick does. Like no one can square in the air like that and really sprint into shots like that. Like that that's insanely rare. No one can. Like the number of people alive who could do what Duncan Robinson did last season is like you know single digits. Um, You can't you can't just find a Duncan Robinson. They don't really exist. Um, So these guys who are who are stationary catch and shoot shooters. Even if you're a very, very, very good one, say you could shoot forty-five percent on stationary catch and shoots, that's not a particularly dynamic player. But once you're one of these guys who gets who starts to deal with shot versatility, where you can shoot off the move, if you're maybe one of these special guys who can really sprint into shots and square in the air, where you can run into shots from either direction, um, where you can shoot from range, that matters a lot. Like if you're spacing out to thirty instead of twenty-four, that's a huge difference. Like it, it, may, it makes you know, it makes rotations and tags and stunts so much more difficult that it, it you know not just is going to get you more open looks or cleaner looks, it's the 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 way that it opens up a, a team's offense is really you know very real. And I think that that you know that's something we've seen early with someone like Pey- Peyton Pritchard that he can space out to really really deep, and that was something that was there for him in college, but. um know that by being willing to use a guy in in that sort of role you actually do extract a lot of value beyond you know just a guy who stands in the corner and can shoot 45 percent. that's not really adding much but the thing that makes these wing guys so interesting is that you know in contrast to someone someone like pritchard who yes has that that dynamic spacing ability that when he's the guy rotating from the weak side he's doing nothing to impact a shot at the rim like a role man is is unbothered by a six one guy who Maybe is trying hard, but you know, he's six one at the end of the day and doesn't have a forty seven inch vertical. Um the wing guys, if you're six seven and sturdily built, like some someone like Corey Kispert, even if you're not a crazy vertical athlete, even if you're you're fine laterally but not incredible, if you can just have generally solid positioning, you can start to make enough of an impact on these plays. That you can start to impact shots at the rim enough. You can impact roles on tags. Like you, if you're physical on a tag at six, seven, and built, you know you're gonna do, you're gonna prevent lobs. You're gonna allow recovery and and and, and uh, stop advantages. So be, combining truly dynamic shooting with pretty much just size and and like the slightest baseline of willingness and intelligence makes for a very very valuable player, which is something that we've seen from from Cam Johnson. Um, you know, it's, 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 uh, these guys don't come around every year. Like they're, they're rare to get these guys that are six, seven to six, nine knockout versatile shooters and, you know, have that baseline level of willingness and confidence on defense. But when you can get these guys who actually satisfy all of that, they're really, really valuable. And again, I think those sort of ceiling raising players.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, someone who is, if they can truly fulfill this. And look, you, you aren't going to find a Duncan Robinson every year. And that is something I tweeted consistently throughout the NBA bubble and the NBA playoffs. Every time I saw an Aaron Neesmith, Duncan Robinson comparison, you're not, you're chasing somewhat of an anomaly. Duncan Robinson, JJ Reddick, those, that is special. Like that is legit special skills that you're not going to just be able to pick up off the college landscape and apply in that role. It's just not going to be, it's not going to be viable. However, Corey Kispert is a very high-level shooter this year, and I don't think that should be taken for granted under or underestimated by any stretch of the imagination. When we're talking about shot versatility, range, as you said, mechanics are, are very clean, flawless, His great shot prep, just a very, very good shooter. And when you combine that with his six six seven frame, he's stocky enough to hold up with some fours. Um, I think there's a lot to be intrigued with there. However, the point that I want to make, and this is not to like go against Kispert, it's more of something just to evaluate when you're looking for these shooters. It's really important to be sort of like, I don't want to say overthink it, but you need to be very careful when you're splitting hairs with these shooters because it's not enough to sometimes just shoot 42%. It needs I need to know how you're getting there. What type of shots are you taking? Where are you taking them from? What does it how look many? like? How many? What does it look like against contests? There are a lot of things that go way beyond your raw percentage that could point to how valuable you are as a shooter. And someone like Isaiah Joe is a very good example there. If Isaiah Joe was taking the shots that most other shooters were shooting last year, I'm very confident that he would have shot 42 or 43%. Instead, he's shooting off of full sprints, turning his body around, pulling from 30, just an absolutely ambitious shot profile. And in the end, that drew some people away because they were turned off by his raw percentages. But in the end, if you actually turned on the film, you would see why they look like that and know that in the long term, that's much more beneficial for him as a prospect and for whatever team that drafts him. So what I will say is I'm a very big proponent of like the shooting specialist. I think they're very important. Um I think like Joe Harris is going to kill it with with Brooklyn alongside Kevin Durant and Kyrie. Again, you're looking at someone who can be very impactful, can go on microwave heaters, but isn't going to need plays drawn up for them. You're not they're not going to take away on-ball usage from your better creators. But and, and the key is if you can do that and maintain I'm not going to say like a positive impact, but like not be a disaster on defense and even do some good things every once in a while. Even if it's just based on size alone, then you're talking about someone who is going to make an impact. And so I think that really does matter, but I would challenge people to really look at this player through a deeper lens. than I think most people do because it's not as easy as, Oh, you shot X percent. You're going to stick in the NBA. There's a lot more that goes into being a shooting specialist. Um, and i think people need to dig into that more
0: yeah it's it's very much not a look at three point percentage thing or or even like thinking about that a little bit more deeply it's not a look at three point percentage and even volume thing or a free throw percentage to to you know check that this really is an elite person uh, an elite shooter it's it's looking at how these shot attempts come you know where what's the diversity like um you know, do you have diversity of footwork, direction, like all of these different things? Where, where's the release point? What does it look like against contests? Like there are so many different, you know, where are you taking momentum uh, into the shot from there, there? are so many different things to, to consider, um, when evaluating a shooter. And I think that it's, it's far more rare to get one of these short, like real elite wing shooting prospects than people think, but when they come along, they're really valuable. Um, it's just it's hard to delineate which guys actually qualify as this, yeah. but but once you once you stumble upon them, they're very valuable.
1: Commodities. Yeah, no, and I, I don't want to come across as saying like I've ma- mastered the identification <laughs> of an elite shooter because I certainly haven't, and I think no one has. If we did, Duncan Robinson wouldn't have gone undrafted. But the truth is, like this is hard. The draft is hard, and and finding that elite shooter who has the chance to be a top five six whatever number you want to use shooter in the world like that's tough that that is difficult but what i will do is like i'm fine looking myself in the mirror and saying okay you know i thought that guy was better than he was because x y and z or i didn't know he was at that elite because of this this and that and like there's just reasons and like you said footwork mechanics type of shots with momentum or are you shoot capable of shooting with backwards momentum left is like side to side are you better shooting one side because that's more advantageous for your release like these are things that you know you kind of have to like let's say we have an elite shooter we start them at the top and for each thing each box that they can't check, you sort of knock them down a peg and then there's just a line that eventually kind of doesn't make it worthwhile anymore. but like some of these dudes truly are elite. And like you said, when you do find that elite player, it is extremely valuable. So, I mean, the like I would leave listeners with this. It's like, you know, don't just throw everyone into this elite mold or even the top cream of the crop shooters in every class into this mold because it's going to backfire on you. However, when you do think you come across this elite shooter, don't take it for granted. Don't overlook it because you're afraid of the ceiling. Like, if you believe that that guy is – a shooting specialist, and a deadly sniper, chances are he's going to provide positive impact for a pretty long time with the way the league is heading.
0: Yeah, one one final point on this is that the ancillary skills do matter, not necessarily just because they're, they're an extra avenue to value and that they're important for, for keeping team offense going, but just to have counters matters. Like, okay, so say you are this shooter who can sprint off of, like, a pin down and turn in the air and shoot. Okay, what happens if someone is like locking and trailing you really, really well and you can't get that shot off? Like, can you can you start to take some dribbles and, you know, can you shoot a forward momentum pull up from the elbow? Can you get all the way to the rim? You know, can you then, can you throw a pocket pass if, if the screener dives? Like, can you do these things that then, you know, once the defense is responding to you in a specific way or is handling you in a specific way, can you continue to add value? And that's how you start to elevate yourself. Once once you have you know all of these these areas addressed, you start to elevate yourself. as a really really valuable
1: prospect. Yeah, I mean, and then that point, I remember one of the pillars in my sort of playoff pillars philosophy article that I wrote during the bubble a few months back was shooters can't just be shooters, and that applied to the baseline guys like we talked about who need you know some shooting fertility and some ancillary skills, but more so it applied to the shooting specialists. That people were hunting the Duncan Robinsons of the world. And there were times where Duncan Robinson kind of got neutralized and, you know, just couldn't cut it when they ran him off the line. But there are also some times where he would hit bam on a short roll. And those plays were very productive for the Miami Heat. And, and there's a big jump for Duncan Robinson to make throughout his career, turning those plays into cons- like into consistent drop-off passes or even pull-up mid-range or scoop single, like same hand same like finishes you know just something to keep the defense honest and off guard and why yeah, more- and,
0: and um, but even i mean with duncan specifically like he he gets to play with bam out of like that <laughs> you know that that's a guy who who enables a lot of you know what you i don't think you would be able to see necessarily with you know if if robinson were playing with a guy who's not that level of DHO handler and passer. No,
1: 100%. And, and that's why those two work so well together. But one thing I wanted to give Corey, Corey Kispert his credit for before we move on is I think he has made a noticeable leap in those ancillary skills and attacking the rim, using his body to shield off bigger defenders for finishes – um whether look I, I'm not saying he looks like strave cooper getting downhill, but it it, wor- it works for him because defenses are flying at him uncontrollably and and it's just good enough and I think that's something to note while evaluating him
0: yeah I think kispert in the past has been limited by his handling I think that he's always been a, a pretty solid passer for this role but this year I think notably he's gotten quicker he's gotten craftier as a finisher um and he's already a big and strong guy um mm-hmm. so yeah they're they're there are a lot of ancillary skills there with him um, that sort of contribute to his, to his stature as, as, a, as a shooting prospect.
1: Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills.
0: Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash
1: metaverseimpact.
0: As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued Um, all right, so big picture on wings. Um, obviously, the goal of building a team is first and foremost to get great players. Um, but it, but in all of these different roles, wings have access to these these avenues to impact that a lot of other players don't have, and that allow you to still extract the most possible value from other players that you know, you can you can change around these roles. And you can accommodate lots of different good players. So I think that that broadly speaking, wings are are very important to getting the most out of everyone else because they they kind of they do have have access to these avenues of, of impact that, that aren't there for smaller players, that aren't there for for slower or less mobile players. Um, but they kind of are are that middle ground where they they really can do a lot of different.
1: Yeah, and I think that was sort of the idea behind even doing this and diving this deep into, you know, the different types of wings. Where can they bring value? Where are they losing value? And, you know, from not only from a team-building perspective, but ultimately when you look at the league right now, like at the end of the day, size and skill is the most valuable combination you can have. Uh, um, It's really as simple as that. So when you look at these guys who are 6'7", six, 6'8", six, um, with these plus 5'6 wingspans, you know – I do kind of feel like that is a little bit of the future in the league as these guys start, you know, and we've, we've heard all these, you know, theories on development of kids, like putting the ball in, like someone like Evan Mobley and PD was talked about on the pod, like, you know, just giving him the rock when he was younger and letting him figure it out. Um, I think, you know, and PD has talked about, like, if you're growing up on Evan Mobley and Cat and, and we have kids growing up on Kevin Durant, Instead of you know having having it, needing it to be Allen Iverson or Tim Duncan battling in the post, like now instead of watching six seven, six 11, 7 footers do Tim Duncan things with in the post, they're watching Kevin Durant you know, dribble around and get into a hang dribble three with the game on the line. And that stuff matters. Um, I'm not sure what that eventually means concretely for the game, but I think that there's something to be said with, we're going to see more players. And I know, you know, just watching a lot of high school basketball, the 2021 high school class, which would be the 2022 draft class is very heavy on wings. Um, There aren't a lot of point guards in that class that even I would go for. And if you know me, you know how much I enjoy a quick, small guard who can bend the defense. But I think this podcast is going to be really fun and interesting to revisit while we're evaluating that class, because there are a lot of wings and they excel in some areas and they're hindered, like I said, they're hindered in others. But overall, the point we want to leave you with is that size and skill is the most valuable thing you can have in basketball. It provides you with the most lineup versatility you know it allows you to do whatever you want on the court and finding these guys and valuing them at the proper you know draft slot it it means something
0: yep all right so next um i think we're going to retire catching eye with with Mm -hmm. ben's retirement from the podcast uh and from now on we're gonna have spotlight skill and equally poorly named segment uh <laughs> I, I i can be buoyant for both of those um, it, it has a
1: little bit of uh, of a flow to it honestly
0: <laughs> it's, it's better than than catching eye probably but it's not it's not great but you know what my my one moment of brilliance was coming up with prep to pro so um take you know, your victory that, <laughs> i i i exhausted my my clever naming schemes for basketball podcasts uh so uh jake do you want to do your spotlight skill person
1: yeah. Um. So I'll start off. Kind of. It only feels right in honor of ben, Uh We are going to talk about his beloved prospect, Jaden Springer. Um, Jaden Springer has very much been impressive over the past couple of games with his playmaking, especially. That's what I've been impressed about. Using that handle and unique size and and movement ability to knife in and you know just dice up defenses. And not only is He's not settling for those you know, two-foot, three-foot jump shots anymore, but instead getting all the way to the rim, drawing help. He's made some drop-off passes. He's made some skip passes to the opposite corner. Had one really good pass that I saw multiple times clipped on the timeline, which was good. Uh, he kind of drove to the baseline. It looked like he was going to throw that typical baseline drift to the opposite corner and completely manipulated the defense and laid it down for a layup. So, you know, um, as a combo guard right now, I, I do think there is – some optimism surrounding his on-ball equity in the future and seeing these playmaking jumps is certainly intriguing
0: Uh, and the one I have for today is David Johnson the Louisville basketball player I guess Um, (laughs) I mean he's like kind of nominally a point guard but he's not really and I think watching the the Prairie View game I think highlighted that pretty well that you see that he he struggles a lot to handle the ball, that he gets himself in some really precarious spots. But you simultaneously in that game are seeing moments where, you know, he's cutting into space and he knows how the defense is going to react to that. And then off of that cut, he's already ready to just throw a quick touch pass to a lob. And I think that that, that was a play that we, that we had both highlighted in that game. Um, so a weird player um, – one who who maybe doesn't fit that that you know point guard mold necessarily but i think another one of these guys who's who's uh, a linking player uh in a in a fun way um so yeah i th- i thought that game highlighted that pretty nicely yeah i um, mean david well i no, was just going to say like,
1: um this piece i wrote on processing speed where i kind of broke down some facets where you could identify that said concept within the context of film and I mean, David Johnson was a very big inspiration for that, just um, especially for the off ball ones. A lot of the examples I used were off the ball because most guys aren't getting the opportunity to kind of bend the defense on their own and manipulate, like someone like a Cade or someone like Sharif. Um, most of the time, it's in these off ball roles where it's condensed and you really have to watch closely and, uh, and evaluate which each, and extrapolate which each little thing means I think david johnson's a perfect example of that uh, that game was awesome just all these little touch passes quick plus ones rotations over the top um he's just really fun really fun prospect um and like you said a really good linking prospect i think
0: yeah all right so i think that that probably does it for for part two of this um jake do you have anything to plug
1: I do not have anything to plug. I mean, you can follow me on Twitter at Jake in the paint. I'm watching games. I'm clipping, giving some analysis. Uh, I just got that pretty big piece off my chest right before I got to school, uh, settling back into things over here. So I don't, don't expect anything too soon for me on the writing end. But as always, I'm watching basketball and talking about it. So feel free to engage with me there.
0: And I have nothing as usual. Um, <laughs> uh, you you can follow the pod at uh, Prep 2 Pro Pod. Follow me at Max A. Carlin. Follow Jake at Jake in the Paint. Uh, and that'll do it for, for this one.
1: Thank you guys for listening.